KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Veterans Day, Thursday, November 11th, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith here with Brian Seltzer and Sabrina Boyd Circa. And each year, Veterans Day brings a lot of tributes, ceremonies, and recognitions for the people who've served our country. We always like to thank our veterans and honor them for their service. But at the same time, there's a serious challenge when it comes to transitioning back into normal life after serving. Putting aside things like PTSD, there's just the routine that you have to readapt to normal life. Not having your orders every day, not knowing what your purpose or your job is going to be. And so we also really want to look for ways to help with that. We're going to hear from a veteran based right here in Philadelphia who has created a networking group for vets about what we can do beyond just a holiday acknowledging men and women who serve. What can we do to really help repay these people for their services, the sacrifices they made, the danger they put themselves into to get back to whatever as normal a life as they could possibly have, whatever that could be. And Brian, we also will take a look at a Philadelphia tie to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier, which is something that you didn't really think about because it's been there for so long. But the city of Philadelphia has its fingerprints on a lot of things. And on this Veterans Day, we'll take a look at those stories that hit close to home in the veteran community. But first, let's get to the rundown of today's headlines. We open this with kind of an update, really, of something we talked about earlier this week with Mike Doherty, our South Jersey reporter. Steve Sweeney, the longtime Senate president in the state of New Jersey, formally conceded the election yesterday. And Edward Durr, the South Jersey Republican truck driver, formally declared victory in the New Jersey Senate race. It puts kind of a bow on one of the more bizarre elections we've ever seen in the state of New Jersey. What's done is done and is official. And now what we have yet to see is how Edward Durr is going to serve as a senator and what he'll do for the state of New Jersey. It was a busy news day in South Jersey politics on Wednesday. Steve Sweeney spoke first. And one of the questions we asked Mike was, do you think Steve Sweeney is going to be done after losing this race? Steve provided some clues on that. I'm not going away. I don't say what I'm doing, but I can tell you something. I've been a believer in making New Jersey affordable for a long time. And perhaps the only thing that could overshadow such a stunning upset, the likes of which Edward Durr pulled off, was the fact that he didn't scrub his social media feeds. And we know he made Islamophobic remarks, misogynistic remarks. Um, It didn't stop there. And that was obviously a question that was top of mind that was presented to him when he spoke on Wednesday. And this was one of his reactions to people reacting to his social media feeds. I think that's the real key to everything. As long as you know somebody, it's hard to hate somebody. Well, that's one way to put it. I know he ended up meeting with a Muslim group in New Jersey last evening, and we're referring to, as, as Brian mentioned, the, the the Islamophobic comments, the xenophobic comments, the comments about uh, the LGBTQ, particularly trans people, the comments he made against Vice President Harris. These things were on his social media, like in this calendar year. These were not things that are going back 5, 10, 12 years. We're talking about 10 months, 9 months, 8 months. This well, I was is- just about to say, I can see people making the argument, and this is a debate that happens constantly, right, of like, how much should you have to pay for your past mistakes? What if he's changed? Or can he change and do better going forward? I hope that he can do better going forward because he is now a state senator. But it wasn't that long ago. It's not like this is something that he posted mindlessly as a kid. Going back to Durr's comments, guys, 
he made it sound, at least to my ears, that it was like once you get to know someone, then you can like them. Why can't – this is a basic humankind plea. Why can't we love and give everyone the benefit of the doubt first and accept them as being great people even before we get to know them? And then like them that much more once you get to know them before thinking like, oh, I got to put up a wall first before I know them. Whatever happened to going into a situation with a blank slate? It's it's something that I learned as a, a kid and maybe we need to do a better job of teaching kids and adults this now. But – don't make presumptions about people. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't make presumptions about yes. people because of a category that they fall into. It's just a stunning last 10 days. I'm, I'm overusing that word, but I don't think I can overuse how big of a seismic shift this is in politics in South Jersey and really for the entire Philadelphia area. Meanwhile, the Flyers were in action last night. And despite that 3 nothing loss at the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're actually doing pretty well this year so far. But a story about the Flyers that's gotten our attention on this Veterans Day was an event that the team hosted recently. And here to talk more about that is KYW News Radio's just lead sports guy, a dude who helps me out so much with everything I do on Philadelphia's Afternoon News, by the way, Dave Uram. Dave, welcome to The Rundown. I'm glad to be back on The Rundown, Jay. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun to be on this show. It's always good to have you here, man. So tell us about the fifth annual USA Warrior Classic. What is it, and how were the Flyers involved in all this? So the USA uh, Hockey Warrior Classic was a big uh, event this past weekend in South Jersey at the at the Skate Zone, or what they call now the, the Flyers Training Center in Voorhees, and the Hollydale Ice Arena in Sewell. And what it was is, I believe it was seven tournaments of varying skill level of over 400 disabled veterans playing hockey from all over the country. And the Flyers Warriors had three teams in the Classic. The Flyers Warriors are affiliated with the Flyers, and the Flyers Warriors hosted this year's Classic. And they were actually defending champions of the Classic. In 2019, it was in Vegas, and they brought home the title in Vegas. And it obviously didn't happen last year because of the height of the pandemic. So this year they hosted. I honestly... to. Be, be truthfully honest with you, Jay, I probably came across Flyers Warriors at some point, but I truthfully didn't know what the Flyers Warriors or Warrior Hockey was until I talked to the captain of the Flyers Tier 2 Warrior team. His name's Tim Wynn, Northeast Philadelphia native, Flyers fan, disabled veteran who was in the initial invasion of Iraq in 2003. He taught me about what the Flyers Warriors program is and who they are and what the USA Hockey Warrior Classic is. And then I spoke with Brad Marsh, who is a former Flyers defenseman from those extraordinarily popular, very successful 80s teams that came so close to winning the cup but came up just short. He's very associated with the Flyers alumni, and he's a coach of the Flyers Warriors program. So I spoke with him before, and it was fascinating to learn about the camaraderie that this team, this program brings for disabled veterans, men and women, uh, you know, the, the pro, it's not just hockey. Like there was other programs that involved or that are involved in the program. Like Tim was telling me mental health resources, a nutritionist. The, he even said that they have a, a babysitting program that they can use. Like the Flyers Warriors program really helps out these vets w- with, with everything. It gives them a sense of community. They play hockey. They also turn around and they do community service through the program, which I found to be re- remarkable too. 
It's just a really, really incredible program where they help out disabled veterans and disabled veterans then turn around and help out the community as well. Now, you mentioned Brad Marsh. You spoke with him, and here's some of what he had to say about the emotion involved of being a part of this team. There's a lot of tears from, you know, some of the players that have overcome a lot to play hockey and overcome a lot to be a part of the organization and, and then to win something and win something with their teammates uh, was was really something special. You hear a player like Brad Marsh talk about the emotion that comes from coaching these guys. And I can tell just from the conversation you had with him and what you've seen that this really does bring out something different in him. From when you talk to him, what could you see that he's getting from this team? I can see that from his perspective, he's getting a lot of joy from coaching. I think he gets joy from the fact that they're helping disabled veterans and bettering their lives, their families' lives too. The thing that stood out to me from just looking at the different uh, photos and social media posts on the internet is Brad Marsh drinking out of one of their championship cups. I mean, these are these were these were decent sized trophies that they had with the Flyers. He didn't get a chance to win a Stanley Cup, so to see him drink out of that cup, I found to be pretty cool. Also, knowing the bigger purpose that he has with this team and with this program. How can people find out more? about this league, about leagues such as the USA Warrior Classic? Well, I, I would recommend for, for the Classic, the big tournament that they had, I would go to the USA Hockey Warrior Classic website, usahockey.com. And for the Flyers Warriors, I would recommend going to their Twitter account and their Facebook account to find out more about them. Dave, thank you so much for joining us once again on the rundown here to talk about this great program with the Flyers Warriors. You can hear his Tim Wynn interview on the November 4th episode of KW News Radio In-Depth. It's on the In-Depth podcast feed right here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. Dave, thank you so much for coming in with us, man. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it. Now, coming up, we've got a story about the city of Philadelphia's connection to the tomb of the unknown soldier. Plus, we hear from a veteran who's trying to help other vets get back to work. That's all coming up on this edition of The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier opened to the general public earlier this week for the first time in nearly 100 years. Now, Brian, this was a story that happened to catch your attention. Yeah, Jay, it did. It really amazed me that it's been nearly a century since the public could go and pay its respects in person to such an important monument. So first I started to think, well, is there any way we could try and see if there are people from the Philadelphia area that made the trek down to Arlington on Tuesday and Wednesday to pay respects? Dead end. Then I started poking around a little bit more, and I found out that the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier actually has a connection to a ship that's currently docked right here in Philadelphia. I reached out to the Independent Seaport Museum. It's right down there on Penn's Landing, and I spoke with Craig Bruns. He's the chief curator there, and I was amazed by what he and some people that he works with there were able to uncover simply by being curious and following some breadcrumbs. Craig, the USS Olympia is a national historic landmark. It's sitting right here on the Delaware. What connection does it have to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? USS Olympia carried the body of the Unknown Soldier across the Atlantic from Le Havre, France to Washington, D.C. The history books didn't mention the journey at all. The history books say, you know, Olympia picked up the body. And then in the next paragraph, 
the Olympia dropped off the body. So, you know, we have the ship. And so we're like, what about what about the voyage? You know, what happened? And um, slowly but surely, we started to research that. And the story started to make itself uh, apparent that this was quite a treacherous journey. If the unknown was lost at sea, it would have been a a national tragedy because everyone was expecting this opportunity to mourn their loss in a much larger way. How did you go about doing your research on what the voyage was like? As you said, what the history books say, there's a little bit of a jump from Europe to the Washington Navy Yard, which is where the ship first came, correct? So how did you find out the missing links there and the threads? How did you piece it all together? It was a little floating piece of information that I could find that mentioned that the Marine Honor Guard tied themselves down so they wouldn't be washed overboard. So, okay, where did that come from? So following that, I was able to find an oral history of Commander Erskine. And in that interview, he fills that story out much more. And it's from that story, combined with the data that is in the, the ship's logbooks, putting that together with, with historical weather pattern, you know, uh, data, and then plotting it out on a chart and trying to figure out what exactly happened. And that's where we came up with roughly 10 days of their voyage. They were on high seas. So the ship survived, but the cargo, the body of the unknown soldier, was on deck and at risk. And why for a novice who knows nothing about ships and transport at that point in time by sea, why was the unknown on the top deck? So the story goes that they received the body in La Havre. They realized that the casket is too large to go through the door of the ship. The ship's carpenter makes a waterproof container. And so then that's strapped to the most, the safest part of the ship on the deck. So then the Marines, the 39 Marines that were brought aboard Olympia specifically to keep the body of the unknown safe. And so they were ordered to watch the body 24 hours a day. So that means day and night, Whatever the weather is, they had to be up there. And of course, like all military, they're dedicated to what they're doing. And they tied themselves to the rail when they had to, to make sure that they weren't washed overboard. You know, you can say, well, it's just a dead body, but it's not. It has the body on his way over transformed into a mythical or mystical state. You know, it's almost like as Homer is a symbolic person, you know, making his journey, the unknown is making his journey home. And it's a difficult journey. And I think that that really adds to our perception of the unknown soldier. Like, you know, we know that the story, the unknown soldier lost his life, lost his identity, and it it probably was a horrible death. But his coming home is kind of reflects the difficulties. It's, it's a difficult journey home. And that difficult journey is experienced by all soldiers, military, 
personnel coming home from the battlefield. They have to make that transition from the battlefield to home. And as we know, even today, that's a very difficult journey. Perhaps, you know, knowing about this difficult journey will extend the uh, symbolic meaning of the unknown soldier. Jay, once again, that's Craig Bruns. He is the chief curator at the Independent Seaport Museum, and he is spot on by what he said and finished up with there. That theme, that notion of service women and men having a tough time transitioning back to normal life, that is so ever-present to this day. You can hear the full interview with Craig on the KYW News Radio in-depth podcast feed that was published today. It's really fascinating to see that. I mean, honestly, who would have thought just from one simple detail you could un- just uncover all sorts of information about that? What's one of the most significant military symbols in our country, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier? Brian, obviously appreciate you getting that information for us here. And we fast forward 100 years. And the United States has sent generations of Americans into a half dozen wars since the end of World War I. So the question often comes up, how can we honor the people who've given up so much to serve this country, especially those who are still with us, with so much of their life left to live? Well, we're joined today by Alex Archowski. He's a Navy veteran, where over a decade ago, he created the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network. Alex Welcome to this edition, this Veterans Day edition of The Rundown. Thank you so much for having me on. So, Alex, what does the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network do to help out veterans here in the area? And what inspired you to create the organization? You know, as veterans, we always want to continue to serve, right? So we serve our, we raised our hand to serve our country. And then when we get out, we're seeing how can we better serve our community. Um, and what I went through was I transitioned twice out of the service, active duty and in the reserves, and then noticed some things during the transition. But it wasn't about helping our veterans. It was about really more about our veterans in our community. So I thought to myself, you know, not just bridging the gap, but how do we make Philadelphia very gr- a great place for our veterans to work and live? And it really was about the economic success. So what started out as a really kind of a small organization about um, helping transitioning veterans out of the service through the challenges I had um, is really more about where are the veterans? Let's create the largest network of veterans and let's drive the economic success of our veterans in our community with the collaboration of chambers, rotaries, you name it, all the economic associations. Alex, I guess, tell us a bit about your service. You served in the United States Navy. Where were you based? What did you do? And what led you to want to enlist into the military? You know, um, I always say there's a phrase to use, and, and, and I tell all the veterans is saying, you know, when you have mixed emotions because you're, you're sometimes looking forward to getting out of the service, uh, there's a phrase we use to say, it's, it's the best time I'll never do again. <laughs> so what I mean by that is, you know, it's good while you're young, right? Um, so there is some, there's a variety of different reasons people serve. And I'll share with mine, but it's good for education because when you try to help our veteran and military community, it's really good to understand that demographic. Why why serve? You know, you can serve your community, soup kitchens locally, but then there's military service. So there's a variety of different reasons to share with you. Um, mine was to finish up college just really financially um, with our with our family and, um, and travel the world, um, get GI Bill for uh, future college things that I was missing pieces. I was together, but I wasn't together. Um, but it, it really did me good, uh, the military service. 
There's others that are trying to leave small towns in the United States. There's really maybe dead ends. Um, other people that are patriots, they had three generations. I have two generations before me that served. So it's sometimes it's like it's in the genes of the family. And you don't even realize it. But to share with you where I was stationed, I was stationed in um, Japan for three years. I chose that air location. They have some ships out there in the Navy. Um, so I was very, very fortunate to just travel the world in Far East Asia and all over the place. And then getting out of the service, I got recalled back to duty with an inshore boat unit out of Annapolis. And we went to the Middle East after 9-11. And when you eventually end up leaving the Navy, what were some of the obstacles that you encountered as you were making the transition back into more civilian life? Are there any personal stories that affected maybe you or your, your fellow members of the Navy that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, this is a, gr a great question that we get asked all the time is everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different background of how they transition. Um, but the biggest thing is imagine leaving everything you know, all your friends you formed and try to re-identify your new identity. It's not done by many people ever. And it's a really hard uh, transition to identify your new purpose because you've created a new purpose and there was nothing like serving, nothing. So you're trying to reinvent yourself. So people are coming from the academies. They're coming from great skill sets, leadership skill set. So it looks a little rough coming out because we're trying to get our bearings. It's really, I mean, I always tell people it is almost like you're leaving, I wouldn't say jail, but you're leaving kind of an institution that institutionalized you. So you're just trying to civilianize yourself. So there's multi years of transition. Our goal is to make sure that people transition well into the jobs, stay in the jobs, lead their jobs, grow into their jobs through our various programs and services that we do. But, you know, purpose, basically career objective could be a challenge. You know, um, what do I want to do? How does it translate? I mean, the military as well is they trained you how to take orders. So what it means by taking orders is we're not giving orders, but taking orders means we learned and we're really good professional learners. So I always tell employers that we are always learning from the day one of who do we want to become. So we have amazing skill sets of trying to be better, right? But given orders of get up in the morning, go to PT, go to the chow hall, um, go learn this. It's given to us every single day. While we have to be very independent in those areas and, and succeed, when you get out of the military, nobody's given you the orders. So our organization really formed itself based on that of helping veterans create their orders, not ours. So we don't direct traffic. We just help them understand the traffic, connect them with the industries that they want rather than us telling them. So it's really about we have a tagline called our tools, your mission. And it feels like you're giving the structure because a lot of military life is based around structure as well, where, as you mentioned, instead of orders, you almost have like a foundation of a house that's set. It's helping them kind of rebuild that home once they get out of the military. Absolutely. Structure and accountability. And accountability, if you think about it, is some people don't welcome accountability in the gym, in nutrition. So for us, we're used to accountability. So accountability is how are you doing are you doing it to the best of your ability? If if not, why not? And having that um, accountability structure as an organization can help. You know, we treat it like family. We talk like family, right? So when your family is telling you, why aren't you doing things? We do it the same. So they're used to communicating that way.
It is fitting that on this Veterans Day, you're launching this veteran-owned business directory. Give us a sense of how many businesses out there are owned by veterans. If you think about the backbone of World War II, the most amount of veterans created businesses was after World War II. Really, and, and there are some amazing, uh, you know, Brian Roberts from Comcast, his father, uh, Jerry Lenfest, it was a Navy veteran. We have some legacy veterans in our community as well. What I found was, you know, why don't we drive the economic success of our veteran-owned businesses here? Because a lot of people say, what can we do to support our veterans? So this directory really helps them land to business to business, business to consumer. What most people don't realize, some of the most well-established veteran-owned companies are already here in this region. Hauser Real Estate, J-Dog Junk Removal. So if you think about them, they are there. And the reason for this as well is constantly we're finding, not against media, but we're finding the noise about how we're perceived, how veterans are broken. So we have to balance information because optics is important. If the general population sees the history of events about PTSD, there are certain demographics that really do need help. But there's a huge demographic of people succeeding, and that's our job to make sure the community knows how to engage with them. One of those forms of success is being able to find a stable job. How far can these companies go? How can these businesses help in terms of helping them find that stability and that foundation when they come back home? Veterans are never satisfied with their own success. So what happens is you have to find the company that's always looking to grow. And going to grow means not just business growth, but business processes. So in the military, there's things that's called after action review, after action report. When you do finish a mission, you finish anything, you review what you did great and what you could do better. So in the eyes of veterans, when we land, we're looking always to do our job, but then do our job better and then do that job and then do a job better. So we really want an organization that is always striving for success. So the challenge that we sometimes have, it's no, it's, it's no secret, is we want the organization um, to be, to drive for success, have the same accountability we used to have in the military. So sometimes we have to take it down a notch, you know, but to, to answer your question of landing in the right area is important because those are the businesses, when they hire a veteran, we always say, if you're gonna hire a veteran, it's about helping them grow because they're going to be hungry to move, 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 do more, do more. Not the, the, Whatever you give them will be easy for them. So the, the other thing is veteran-owned businesses is the majority of them don't want to remain small. So they're great at building teams. They're great at working with dem- different demographics. In the military, you cannot hire or fire anybody you work with. You're given employees. So if you can imagine the skill set in the civilian world is we can work with anybody. Sarah from Oklahoma, Tony from New York, Bill from Washington, Tom from Texas, all personalities in the military. So we have to drive for a mission. So in the civilian world, any personality in the group is we know how to drive for success. And there's no barking. There's no um, talking down on them. It's really Bringing the best out of them is what we do best. So how can veteran-owned businesses register themselves with your directory? 
the best way to do is we have a website called gpvn.org backslash VOB. That's again, gpvn.org backslash VOB. Uh, we have our first round of, of uh, directory today. And then we, there's, a, there's a little icon that says register your business. So our goal is to drive the campaign that's called Buy from Philly Vets. What we're going to do is go, go out in 2022, talk to economic associations about how they can interact. Procurement and, and, and suppliers want to do diversity spending. So when they're doing diversity spending, we are one demographic just like um, minorities, just like woman-owned, just like disabled, we're one of uh, several um, diversity buckets. So having that directory for procurement is will pay dividends in, in the next couple of years. And what services does the Greater Philadelphia Veterans Network provide for veterans as well as employers? You know, the services we provide, we always say, if you don't raise your hand, we can't provide anything. So we always tell people saying, how do you know if you need help? I said, well, you know, if an alcoholic doesn't raise their hand, then they're still an alcoholic. So we still battle people that think they know it all, that should know it all, and they lean in and lean out. So you need to be dedicated for your own success. It hurts a little bit. Job searching is very emotional. So we provide a lot of boundaries about how to focus for your job search success We talk about networking and leadership. We have a program about building up skill sets of how to be a leader in the civilian community. And we do veteran-owned business um, and do different programs around that. And we have a national veteran shark tank that we do each year in Philadelphia that's been incredible. Um, So those are the services as well as empowering employers to learn, engage, hire, retain. Again, learn, engage, hire, retain does not mean send me a veteran. Send me a veteran does not mean they want a veteran. They just want a body. So anybody that leans in as an employer to say, how do we make ourselves veteran friendly? We'll work with them. And there's a really good amount of employers out there that are leaning harder for retention, community service. It's all around veteran friendly, not just hiring one um, uh, as well. And now doing procurement, which is the next uh, growth in our area, is uh, diversity. People are reaching out about how do I do business with veteran-owned companies. I got to ask really quick, veteran shark tank. You got to tell us a little bit more about the veteran shark tank. That sounds really interesting. Well, in 2011, I guess, you know, we all got a little buzz from the real shark tank. I think it was probably right when it came out. So I saw the thing with entrepreneurs and a buddy of mine, uh, John New with Workmark, used to be with a hub army guy, unfortunately, um, <laughs> and just a little jab online here. And uh, because army Navy week is fast approaching. So w- what we did is we just brainstormed a little bit and say, John, you know, I really feel like we could do a pitch competition. But if you think about pitch competitions, they're really set up for technology company and funded companies. So how, what percentage is America on that? That's like this much. What about blue collar jobs? What about other companies? So we said, well, let's do it like the military. There's officers and enlisted. Let's bring the companies, you know, blue collar, white collar, who's got the best idea and who's got the best pitch and who's got the most sound business plan. So we got all these smarter than me people on this committee of, of uh, entrepreneurs, business owners, venture capital of forming our first event. And we had five veterans pitch their idea and Mike Mayer from Hauser was the first one in 2012. And then from there, we lost money, you know, just like any first event. 
social entrepreneurship. We gave out five thousand dollars, and then we and and I think we made forty five hundred dollars. <laughs> so as an organization, but it was about building it. Now it was it, it's got so much momentum that we landed the first day of the week for Army Navy Week. So we are the first economic event. People fly in now from all over the country. We pack the room of the uh, to, to, for entertainment of the five finalists. So those five finalists are vetted from all over the country now. And it's an amazing organization. We've had Philly Esports, uh, which is a gaming community um, for our region. We've had J-Dog Junk Removal. The list goes on and on and on of amazing, amazing um, companies. So our job is to promote so this is a commercial for all our sponsors and all our community to show on stage who's kicking butt in the veteran community. Alex Archowski, we want to thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. And also, thank you for your service, sir, as well. Thanks, Jack. And there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for this Veterans Day edition of The Rundown which is a production of KYW Original Podcast. The show is produced by Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KYW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm Jay Scott Smith. You can follow me on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. That's real Jay Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. Of course, you can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 p.m. for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. And you can be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter as well at The Rundown PHL. Again, The Rundown PHL, all one word. You can listen to course for free right here on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We thank you for checking out this Veterans Day edition of The Rundown.